good morning. I'm going to invite you to stand with me one last time as we read the Word of God. We are reading from Mark chapter 12. Uh, we're going to read from verse 41 through to chapter 13 and verse 8. Mark chapter 12, reading from verse 41 through to Mark chapter 3, verse 8. Hear the Word of the Lord. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow was put more, has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when all these things will happen, and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Father, this morning I pray that you would, in only the unique way that your Holy Spirit can, use human thoughts as reflected upon your Scripture to speak your truth. I do pray, dear God, that you would use my preparation, but more significantly, that I would be more reliant on your Holy Spirit. You know what our people need to hear. You know what your people need to hear. So come now, give us open hearts, receptive hearts, to hear your word in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The transition from Mark chapter 12 to Mark chapter 13 is interesting, isn't it? The first image we have, the first story we have is an encounter in the temple court. Now, I did some research and found out that the treasury receptacles or the old temple offering plates, if you will, were located in the court of the woman. The court of the woman in the temple was a, a court reserved for only Jewish people, men and women and children that were Jews could go into this particular court called the court of the woman. In this court were 13 receptacles. Some of my research is a little fuzzy around this, and so I speak under correction if I'm wrong, but you all know that I am human and fallible sometimes. But it seemed like these receptacles in all likelihood were made out of some form of metal. Some suggest brass. 
So get this, 13 receptacles located around the temple in the court of the woman, and Jesus is inside this court with his disciples, and can you allow me some creative license, just pulls them aside and says, let's just have a look at what happens here. It's kind of like Jesus would be sitting off to the side where these two young ladies are sitting and kind of posturing himself with uh, the disciples and, and having a look as you were putting your money into the offering baskets this morning. And as people came and gave, and it says many did, Jesus observed to his disciples that the rich really gave a lot. They really gave a lot. Now, 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 just play with me for a second. Can you imagine if these are brass receptacles and the primary currency was metal? When they poured in a lot, you heard that reverberate through the temple courts. Can you imagine that? It'd be like taking a bag of money and just pouring it in. And as you pour it in, you just stand and look at everybody. <laughs> look at how much I'm giving. Perhaps it's like I'm tempted to do when I put that big check in the offering plate, you know? <laughs> stand and look around. But Jesus tells us there's a woman who comes, a widow. We know that in biblical times to be a woman was difficult, let alone be a widow. We know that a, a husband was your provider. He was your leader in a patriarchal culture. We know that for a woman to be a widow was very difficult in Jesus' time, but we are told that a widow comes and she puts not even the equivalent of a penny in the place, just two coins that drop. And Jesus says to his disciples, did you see that? Did, did you see that the one who put in the least gave the most? Did you see the greatness of what just happened in this temple court. Now, if you read the text carefully, you realize that no reaction from the disciples is recorded. Jesus is the only one that appears to be impressed with a widow that everybody else overlooked. And then we move to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, they are leaving Jerusalem now. They're traveling east through the Kidron Valley. For those of you being in Jerusalem, I just kind of envy you a little bit. If you want to bless your pastor, send him to Jerusalem. And all God's people says amen. <laughs> but also bring him back. I, I know, no one-way tickets. <laughs> I, I'd miss my hockey too much. What a game last night, wasn't it? So anyway, so... So, so they're leaving the Temple Mount. They're leaving the Temple. They go through the Kidron Valley. They're heading east up the Mount of Olives. I'm told gentle slope, beautiful. But the Mount of Olives affords you a perspective of the Temple that would have been spectacular. Josephus, the historian, describes the Temple as splendid, better than any other Temple ever built. The size of the stones that was used on the Temple Mount were 35 feet long. Get this. 18 feet wide and 12 feet high. And from the vantage point of the mountain looking across the Kidron Valley, it was a sight to behold. Of course, you'd be impressed. This disciple was. You see, Jesus marvels at what happens inside the temple in the life of a widow, but disciples seem to be impressed with grandeur, with great buildings. I think, I think that human beings, me being one of them, we have to be careful with what we're impressed by. And it seems to me 
that Mark's painting a picture for us of when you start to follow Jesus, you become impressed by other things than what perhaps you have been impressed with before. It seems like Jesus wants to teach his disciples to see differently before he leaves. We all know that he's headed back to Jerusalem. We all know in just a few days he will be hailed and he will be crucified. We know that this is about to come, but it seems like, like Jesus is saying to his disciples, I, I want you to catch a vision of the kingdom of God that doesn't quite look the way you think it looks. Now you know, you're all smart. You know that the, the Jewish people had all kinds kinds of expectations of what the Messiah would do. One of that expectations was he would return to Jerusalem, and from Jerusalem he would rule, reinstituting the people of God to be the people of God. And we know that the disciples had this warped understanding of what that would mean. It could be that as the disciples hear Jesus speak about this incredible, beautiful building. By the way, I drive I could take many routes home, but I drive up Harvest Hills Boulevard, and at night, what a building this is. I'm impressed with it. I really am. Did you, did you drive past that building at night? The pot lights? Come on. <laughs> Those pot lights just accent this building. I mean, the, the, the way that cross just is illuminated, fantastic. I drive by it and I go, I, I, I feel proud that this is my church building. <laughs> you see, I, I think if I have to preach the text honestly, I am tempted to be impressed by things. But perhaps as Jesus invites me to see the way he sees, he is saying the things that sometimes impress you, Stu, is not the things that really matters to me. I'm impressed by, by not lots and opulence and great prosperity. I am impressed by total devotion. I'm impressed by people who, who don't by the world's standards have a lot, but they are so committed to their faith and God that they give their everything. You see, Jesus, Stu, you're impressed with those who have lots. I'm impressed with those who give everything. You know, I think the church, as we sit here today, has been built, this physical building, by many like this widow. You know, I, I, I wonder if perhaps in our world we approach the people we respect as those who have the largest toys and the biggest bank accounts. But I love Jesus. He, 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 he seems to, to see that, that even those who don't, according to the world, have lots, they can be great. He, he seems to believe that, that even those who, who don't have a great deal, and, and this is how we approach our Christianity in the West, we, we think it's about lots and more and more and more. You, you know, it's, it's what you have <laughs> that matters to Jesus and what you do with it. It's what God has given you and how you live with it that matters. Whether you have lots, there's no problem with having lots, except it becomes harder to be generous, doesn't it? 
And when you have little, you become fearful that if I give the little away, will I have enough for me? Somehow, the picture that is painted for us is that God looks through Christ at the people that we often overlook. He looks at the devotion that we often overlook. Let us not be. This is not my main point, but it's good, right? Amen? Are you worried yet? But let us not be a church that is impressed by the wrong things. Oh, what great stones. Wow, what a great church. Did you guys see the view out here? I'm going to go over here. I am a golfer. I'm terrible, but I'm a golfer. And you can look. I don't know what hole this is, but you can right, look right over here. I prayed here on, Wednesday, on Tuesday morning, and I looked out, and I thought, what a great church. Our national director, I quote him at a, at a clergy conference, said this about our church. I don't know of many Nazarene churches that overlooks a golf course. And I got to be honest, I sat there and I said, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You see, I, I, I think, I think we all have to be reminded through the particular text that God looks at some different things than we are tempted to look at. But why is this important? The, the, the particular scripture goes into a portion of the text that talks about what they call kind of the mini-apocalypse. This idea of apocalyptic language is problematic for us. We don't know what to do with it. Or another way of saying it, end times language. So Jesus says, don't be impressed with that. This temple is going to come down. There's two very important points to keep in mind before we interpret the text. The first is this. Jesus is speaking about what would happen in the immediate future. For those of you who study history, you know that in 70 A.D., Rome would come and raise all of Jerusalem. They would destroy the temple. They would topple the big stones. And for those of you fortunate enough to have traveled to Jerusalem, you know that excavation today still proves this to be true. They find stones matching the dimensions that I just described. So in some ways, Jesus is saying this. In just a few years, the very thing that is so impressive to you will come down. So be careful that we don't misinterpret the Scripture. I want to say this very emphatically to you. You and I need to spend time with others learning how to read the Bible well. I would say this in particular in these days, and I'm very careful in saying this because pastors can become, you know, look at me, I know all the truth, all the answers. I say very humbly to you, I step behind this pulpit with a great degree of fear because I assume the responsibility to proclaim the Word of God. There is a lot of responsibility in doing that. And let me also say this to you, my friends. Be careful, be careful that you figure, you, you say to yourself, I just figured this out by myself. Christianity, the gift to you and me, is other brothers and sisters to help us in our faith. I think each person here should be in a learning community where you're studying the Word of God together. Now, Jesus predicts, he says, this is all going to come down. Now, I, I, I try to imagine a few things. I try to imagine to put myself in the, in, the, in, in the shoes of this disciple that was so impressed with the grandeur of the temple. Perhaps in the back of his mind, he's thinking, Jesus, when you come and you become Messiah and this whole kingdom thing comes together, which part of the temple court am I going to get to rule in? 
Perhaps he's thinking very personal thoughts. I mean, it's going to be awesome when we have this kind of authority and power. Um, you know, greatness by association, if you will. He's perhaps asking and being impressed with what he sees because he foresees of the kind of kingdom that Jesus would not usher in. When we begin to see Jesus the way that he wants us to see, we understand that even when temples fall, God is still in control. Even when the great things in life happen, the big things disappoint, even with what we have been impressed with is removed, if you're looking where Jesus wants you to look, you can persevere and you can have hope. Now, the first perspective is one of the imminent destruction of the temple. The second perspective is the great return of Christ. When we read this scripture, we can't help but sense that Jesus is saying, when I leave you and before I return, I want you to live in a particular way. This is how I want you to see. Now, I want to, this is so hard. I, I really struggle with how to preach this. So I'm going to try to preach it as clearly as I can. So right now, intercessors pray that I get it. I think one of the, the things that Jesus teaches them is, is don't, Count time and look for signs. Don't be the kind of Christian that when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, when you hear of things happening in the world that seems to be tumultuous, things that seem to be going wrong. By the way, we do know that every generation has looked at the world the way we do, right? It's going, it, it, it's just going, oh, it's not going the way I want. Problems in the world is not new to this generation. And Jesus is, I think, teaching his disciples, if you're going to see the world, if you're going to see the religious life the way I want you to see, I don't want you to be about, when is this going to happen? Because when you do that, you miss what I want you to do as you wait. Even till this day, it should astound us that the very strongest words of Jesus in Mark 13 is this, no one knows the day or the hour. And he says, stop reading the signs and live faithfully in the present. Stop being concerned about when and recognize that now is given to you and your perspective of this world matters because it is one of hope, because we know how the story ends. And it is good news. Let me, let me say this. I remember we had this associate pastor in the church that I was brought up in. My dad was the pastor of this church. And, uh, you know, how do I put this? I didn't realize my dad was cool. Um, <laughs> I really didn't. I was with Luke recently, and um, in Texas, Luke went with me to a speaking engagement in Texas, and we were leaving, and Luke, is it okay to tell this? It's now too late, right? You can't say no, and then it's like, <laughs> sorry, buddy. And he says to me, Dad, I think it kind of sucks to be your son. I was like, buddy, <laughs> I just bought you a ticket to Texas. Dad loves you. And he says, Dad, no, because everybody else kind of just thinks you're really cool, but you're kind of like my dad, and you like discipline me, and you like tell me I can't be on my Xbox forever, and I gotta do homework, so it kind of ruins it. <laughs> I, I didn't realize my dad was amazing when I was growing up, and by the way, if I could just say this as a side note, 
we don't sometimes see the value of our parents till we grow up. But appreciate them. They're not perfect, but God has given you them. And most parents, in my opinion, love their children, wants to give them the best. Sometimes we don't know what that looks like. Sometimes we give them more than they need. Sometimes we don't give them enough. The primary calling of parents is to faithfulness. Faithfulness to the Lord and faithfulness to your children. Make your faith central to your life. It will teach them more than anything you can give them. But my dad, in the church of my youth, hired this associate pastor. And she put on this play, this play that was, uh, was uh, uh, rotating on the simple idea that if we can scare you enough, maybe you'll confess Jesus as Lord. Uh, here's what she did. And I don't take this lightly, and I'm not mocking the church of my upbringing because it taught me a lot of good things. She planted people in the audience that as she talked about these mini-apocalyptic, one was left and the other one was taken, people would, and no one knew that was going to happen. I was just a little kid sitting in this church, and this woman jumped up and started to wail. I turned around. <laughs> the fear in my eyes, and she ran out screaming. And then as she kept on going, more people jumped up and ran out, and I started to go, God, I, I, I don't want to miss out. I need to get my life right with you. Now, I know, in the back of your mind, some of you are going, what's wrong with that? Can I say this to you very clearly? I do believe that God will judge injustice. He will judge those who reject the way of God. But what precedes anything and everything as Christians is this, the love of God, and it is the primary reason to live for Him. Let me put it to you this way. For God so loved this world that He gave his one and only Son, so that no one would perish, but all would have. All. Did you hear the emphasis or the emphasis? All would have eternal life. You know what verse 17 says? He did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him may be saved. When we read in Mark chapter 13 that the end will come, you know what we, what we tend to do? We tend to do what that associate pastor did with all the, you know, poor execution. We tend to think this is the fiery. Do you know what the word end in Greek means? Anybody smart enough except Ryan, and it's in Bible college? In Greek, the word end means telos. You know what telos means? The aim of all things, the purpose of all things. Literally, when we read this particular text, this is what God, Jesus, is saying. Everything is moving towards what? God has intended it to be. Hear me now. Do you know the language of birth pangs? I, 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 I want you to get this image of what Jesus is saying. Be careful, be careful that you don't count time. He also says this, by the way, be discerning of who you follow because many will pretend. Really important. He, he, he also says this, don't fear when the world is at war. But he's also saying this. It's not going to be the end. 
For like a mother gives birth to a child, there's lots of pain before the joy. You know, I don't know if I've made sense to you in all I've just said, but I want to say this. How the story ends as a Christian matters to how you will live today. And if you don't believe that the story ends good, turn to Revelation chapter 21. The Lamb upon the throne. Let, let me read it to you, because some of you are looking at me like, I'm not sure, Stu. Uh, let, let, let me read this for you. Listen to this. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. I love this one. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. My friends, I am learning and I'm constantly growing. Thank God for that. I'm not the same man I was when I started with you 10 years ago. And no, I'm not talking about how much more handsome I've become. <laughs> but God's grace has been forming me, growing me, changing me, challenging me. I found that one of the keys to growth is humility. You know, pride says I can't learn anything new, I know it all. In fact, a good way to think about pride is pride goes something like this. I'm so sure of myself, there's no room to learn anything else. But humility becomes the very quality that makes disciples grow. And I think the older we get, the more we like to be certain about what we know with what we know. But could it be that the gift of God to us is his Holy Spirit that is able to mature us in our faith so that we will have a hopeful perspective amidst the pain and reality of life. I want you to hear that what Jesus is saying is this. Things can get hard and difficult for you, but even when the temple falls, it will not be the end. You know what Jesus is saying to us? That our hope is far more secure than the wars or the rumors of wars. That our hope is far more secure than a world that seems to be spinning off its axis. That our hope is more secure than what we see with our eyes. But when we begin to see the Savior Jesus Christ for who he is,
even when the bottom falls out, we can still have faith. To this, God's people says amen. My friends, I invite you this morning to hear the Word of God. For He is doing a new thing in your pastor. Can I testify? <laughs> you may be fooled in thinking he's got it all together. Look at how sharp he looks. Do you see my shoes? Only someone confident in the cells can wear brown shoes with black pants. <laughs> Do you know that for most of my life I struggled with um, incredible insecurity. Uh, in fact, I, I hide it very well. In fact, some of you probably know this. Ever since you've been, I've been with you, you've known that I have this turmoil every Sunday when I stand up. Oh, I hope I say something they like. See what insecurity does? Uh, when I preach, I'm being very vulnerable with you, but this is not weakness because I believe what Paul says, for his strength is made powerful in my weakness. If you don't look at me right as I'm sitting here, now all of you are going to look at me nice with a smile, right? I'm like, oh, did I upset Ricky again? <laughs> you know what insecurity does in my life? Insecurity makes me um, insecure to be able to even receive love from people who truly love me. I've learned this. Insecurity makes me dangerous in relationships. And I started to pray. I said, God, my apartheid past will tell me this, that my color is a hindrance. It makes me less than. I'm not sufficient. But as I sat in prayer, even as recent as this past week, the Lord reminded me that he has begun a good work in me, a work of firming up in me a security that comes not in my performance, or even in my complexion, but that comes from his deep love. For his grace is sufficient, for his power is made perfect in our weakness. Oh, how I love Jesus! <laughs> oh, how I love Jesus! Oh, how I love Jesus, for he is the one, no respecter of person. Your weakness is, by the way, just a little hint. I'm preparing a sermon, but a little hint, a little taster for a few weeks. Your weakness is not a limitation to him, but it becomes a means of grace. So, what do we do with a word like this? I think there's a few things I want to encourage us to do. The first thing is to recognize that we are all tempted to focus on the wrong things. What is it for you? What stands as a huge monument that so impresses you that you cannot see the very work of God? 
Perhaps you are the widow this morning and you feel like, you know, Stu, I'm, I'm pretty insignificant. I don't have much to offer anybody, and so I don't feel like there's any use that God has for me. I mean, I, I look at others and I go, look at how great they are. Oh, isn't it a wonderful word? <laughs> this is Jesus that sits over in the corner and he looks at you right and he says, look at my boy with that two pennies. Maybe there's some of us that needs to realize that little is much in God's view of us. And so, instead of, you know, holding back and saying, I have nothing to offer, give, give, give what you have. Be faithful with what you have. Serve the Lord with what you have. Be obedient to Him with what you have. Live for Him. Instead of being the Christian that has a very dark perspective of the world and therefore very judgmental, open yourself up to the hope, the hope that comes from God that doesn't dismiss what's happening, says life can be hard, things can go wrong, but there is hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm finished. <laughs> Let me pray. Father God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for how that... Um, as I listen uh, to you speak to me, I recognize that you are real and you are true. And I recognize that even as I speak this morning, that for some of us, this kind of word might be hard or difficult, challenging, uh, but I pray, dear God, that there would be a great sense of your hope. I pray that you would, um, by your grace, reach out to those who need your touch today, need your hand today, need to respond to you today. I pray that if there be someone amongst us that just needs to come and have someone pray over them, that they'll come to the front here and we'll pray over them. I pray that if you are teaching somebody something, that it would be transformative. I pray to you too, God, that if there are any persons here who struggle with deep insecurity and it influences the way in which they live their life, that your power your Holy Spirit, and ultimately your love would liberate. You are so good. <laughs> you're so good. We can trust you this morning because you're good. We can trust you this morning because you are love. We can trust you this morning with our vulnerabilities, with our problems, with our aches, with our pains, with our joys, with our losses, with our sufferings, with our struggles. For when we are weak, we are strong. In Jesus' name, amen.